Hello, and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, who've been doing this for <laughs> way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Johnny. You're the real thing. Yeah, the real thing. You're the real thing. Even better than the real thing. Shout. You're hitting me right in my wheelhouse there. You too. One of my it? favorite bands. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Even better than the real thing, baby. Act on baby. Yeah, it was that was a weird album for me because that's like that's when they started to get a little more like they started to go outside their the box they had built with like you know Joshua Tree and 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 uh, Rattle and Hum and stuff like that you know. Well, I mean, we're not a music podcast, but like I'm like a I am like a big like like I've read like I've read their big coffee table book. I'm talking about mm. revolution and stuff. And what's cool about you two is they start as a punk band. But they yeah. keep evolving. So even Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum are them taking inspiration from American yeah. rhythm and rhythm and blues. And in Absolutely. fact, Rattle and Hum got panned in the day because because people said it was just derivative of, of U.S. rhythm and blues, and that it wasn't. They just basically said it was just derivative dribble, basically. Yeah. <laughs> what a lot of the uh, what a lot of the folks said. I don't know. I look back. It's one of their best albums. I think it's one of the best oh, albums I've ever heard. Yeah, it got some of the best stuff on it. Yeah. So. And then and then they basically after that for Act Tongue Baby and also I'll mention after several band members had some rough divorces, Whoa. they went in a whole different direction and embraced European electronica. They 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 filmed they they recorded the whole thing in a famous studio in Berlin. Uh, so that's kind of what that is. Is them evolving and then, from. And then Bono came. never uh never had small sunglasses ever again. No, no. He no, only he ever had gigantic sunglasses, bug sunglasses. For the all, uh, yeah, all yeah, time, he, evermore. He needed, needed something to, to block the star power. You know? <laughs> uh, so good. My buddy, just as a quick finish out U2, my buddy saw them. He, it was one of his first concerts ever. His brother took him to it was U2, Joshua Tree. He's yeah. a massive U2 fan, my old guitar player. And he went finally to see the when they did the re, you know, like the, the they toured it again. I saw you it. Know? Yeah, and he I said was, it was. I, I saw it as good, if not better, than the original time he's on, you know, back in the 80s. Well, I you know, remember that about you two is they did the theme for Batman Forever. That's, that's <laughs> oh, they did, like didn't they? Thing. They did. That, uh, that was actually a U2 album, I believe. Mm. So I saw that Joshua Tree in Philly, and the Lumineers opened up for them. Oh, that was like yeah. seeing two That was like seeing two main acts. That was amazing. Yeah. But before that, like the year before, they were... I was at Dreamforce, which is the Salesforce.com convention, like as 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 covering covering it for business reasons. Okay. And part of Dreamforce is they put on a concert. Yeah. U2 was the concert. Ah! I got to go to the Cow Palace and watch U2 play with free beer and free food. Yeah. And it was amazing. Even Life though the hard, crowd was know? terrible. Like like at one point, Bono walks off and comes up and says, This is the part where you cheer for us to come back. And people still aren't cheering. Like oh, <laughs> business crowds are the worst. But it was Gordon the one where it was the one where he did the big. Uh, this this made the news. He did the version of Bolt the Blue Sky that was kind of anti-Trump. Oh, okay. That was there. I was there live for when he did that. The one that was oh, you know, yeah. make America great again or make America hate again. I was there for that live. Oh, that wow. Was awesome. So I can't believe you two was doing corporate gigs at that point. That's all I'm saying. That's like this is so well, weird, right? <laughs> you know, that's how you set it up. The way Salesforce sets that up is it's a charity concert. Mm. So and if it's actually the concert's not called Dreamforce. The concert has its own name. 
but it is a charity. It is a concert for charity. So you too is doing it for charity. Salesforce makes some kind of massive donation or something out of the revenue from Dreamforce, ah, and they truck everyone over to see it. Then there you are. Yeah, so it's, it gives everyone what they want. You know, I'm not sure this is actually going to make the make the podcast. It totally is. Yeah, we, we are five minutes into the deep Whatever. into the weeds here. People are loving it. They're seeing our complexity and depth. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's one of the advantages of going to these going to like these Salesforce and Adobe.com events and stuff. Is you get to see. I saw Will Smith play at an Adobe event. Oh, that's crazy, dude. He came out. He, he was supposed to be an interview. He came out. He grabbed the microphone and started rapping. It was like a concert. It was, again, amazing. Like, this is yeah. crazy stuff you get to see at these weird business events. Oh, I saw the Beach Boys reunite at or Dreamforce one year. You know? I mean, it's Craziness. Like, Craziness. It's crazy. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. However, to get back to you, too, I think that is applicable to what we're talking about here today. Yes. So here we go. That's the segue right there. Um, not just the song, even better than the real thing, but the evolution of you two grabbing one, you know, starting in punk rock and then grabbing onto, oh, here's some rules from American rhythm and blues we're going to work into our music. Here's some musical rules out of European electronica we're going to work into our music and evolving the music with these new rules they're pulling in. Oh, and boy. that is... Oh, that is that's well done, sir. That's exactly <laughs> what we're talking about here today. Because what we want to talk about is basically alternate rules these could be house rules but for the most part also just printed rules and how those how you may want to work those into your game or not work those into your game um what are some we like maybe we'll talk about some that we don't like i imagine we're going to focus more on what we like because i mean why why waste time thinking about what you don't like hmm. and this does come to us today from a listener question first time we're hearing from jared in quite a while we've he's, he's questions for a lot of our podcasts here so jared thank you very much and his one today is this I'm curious, are there any interesting ideas from the DM sections of the books that you want to mess with? Things like sidekicks and Tasha's, monsters with classes in the DMG, chase rules in the DMG, madness, honor and sanity scores, healing and rest variants. Which ones might be good for narrative things and which are solely mechanical? Uh, which do you like and what do you want to try? And are there any that you'd steer clear of? You asked us to name three we'd steer clear of. I don't know if I'd steer clear of anything for the right game, though, right? Yeah, yeah, as I looked through, like, I was, like, trying to find one, like, I'll never play with this. And I was like, no, I think that might actually be fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And before we jump into this, I do want to say, so, you know, Jared sent us this question through our What's Your Problem field on FreeWiseDMs.com. We love answer, answering listener questions. So if you have a question you want to hear us answer, you can either go to FreeWiseDMs.com, put it in the What's Your Problem field. You can email us at FreeWiseDMs at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're active on all those channels. We would love to hear we'd like to hear us cover and we'll try to if you send us a question we'll try to work it into the show so with that said guys what do you think what out of these alternate rules i mean do you, any any you like any you don't like do you think they're worth putting in or just adding useless complexity personally i feel like a little bit of homebrewing is very necessary to some games because who honestly unless you're going to a official event is doing it line by line by the rules by the errata in every uh, aspect of it. Uh, for example, one of the things I'm very fond of is allowing additional skills to be learned throughout the game that you may not uh, throughout your class. Mm -hmm. The only thing I wish with that is that there were more skills to learn. Like I kind of miss the 2E wide open proficiency system, the non-weapon proficiencies, whereas now it's this small skill list. Mm. And like, there's only so many skills on that skill list. So you can easily take people to where they've learned almost every skill. I miss the, the second edition days where you could give someone brewing and they could go do some brewing or something or give someone some engineering. And there was just such a long list of proficiencies that didn't matter what you gave people. There was always 10 times more things they weren't going to get to. 
So we went, like, example, I remember in one the Woodstock game, Bean was trying to learn a sword. We wouldn't have to necessarily give him the heavy weapons feat that's associated with the martial weapons, where mm. you learn four weapons and get a strength and or, or a con point, but perhaps with an appropriate amount of time and training, and maybe actually using some live rounds and using it in a battle, he can get proficiency in that weapon specifically. Mm. Because, yeah. I guess, as I've said before, the waiting for feats to pop up if you're not a fighter it's like waiting for the, the a package to come in the mail. If you're a fighter, one cup pops up like every other level at one point. You start going, yeah. huh? Okay, I have this my eighth my eighth ASI. What do I want? Um, uh, I don't need that point in intelligence. Yeah, yeah. And like there's only so many, right? There's only so many feats. There's only so many skills. Yeah. So that's an interesting aspect because that's one where my plan had been if you wanted to multi-class, he obviously would have gotten sword, right? Because oh. he was looking to possibly multi-class into paladin. paladin. And now I keep throwing things into the game, assuming that Beam can use things like flails and forgetting, oh no, the cleric can't use flails because somehow a flail is harder to use than a mace. No, All right. but I do have the my I now have the rod of lordly might. So that kind of like in a in a really kind of cool way, I think. Um it, it kind of answers that whole little uh, evolution thing, that question that the character was dealing with. Because now I have the ability to drop in their big time melee if I so choose. But yes. uh, he's gotten a little, he's been getting a little gun shy with some of what's been happening. So. <laughs> I don't blame you. I thought you were going to do more melee. And yeah, it hasn't worked out that way. But yeah. the only thing, with, but even with that, like he can't use the flame tongue on there. Because that's the sword. He doesn't have proficiency for that sword. Well, that's the thing, because I think, like, I, we would have to go back in, and I'd have to take a look, because it might fall under some of, like, when you have the, if, is it an item interaction when you're casting off something, or is it a spell, you know, some of those little tiny fiddly bits. And I think with the rod, it's considered like a mace, in essence. No? Uh, a rod is... However, the transformation on the Rod of Lordly Might makes it any of four different weapons, two of which you can use with simple proficiency because you have one of them's a mace and the other one is a uh, spear. Yeah. The other two are a battle axe and a flame tongue sword. The flame tongue sword pretty much being the best weapon on there to get the extra flame damage. Mm. But I, I would think like you like they change it changes into those weapons is the way that's worded. So in that case, you would theoretically need the need the prof. Um, so it might be worth him getting it somehow. Yeah. yeah, it could turn into any type of sword, but you would have to, of course, have proficiency with that. That's what I'm proficiency with right it. Now. All right. I mean, you could actually even turn it into, I think, a two-handed flame, a great sword uh, flame top. So that, you know, there is, that's, there's an idea where, you know, Tony's thing with skills and skill proficiencies yeah. does change. That makes me think, too, like with the way um, Pathfinder had done it, they had broken out their skill list uh, much greater. I think they got something like 30 skills on there. And they break out knowledge things. Uh, and it's awesome for this type of thing, but it doesn't necessarily lend itself to bringing in a lot of people who are new to it, who want to learn how to play a system. And now, hey, here's 37 skills, plus all the rest of the stuff in your class, you know? That's the tricky thing. And like in second edition, your non weapon proficiencies didn't really, that I remember, didn't really overlap with your combat abilities. And that was like, I mean, okay, you could take poison, you could take like poison, you know, so like second edition, the non-weapon proficiencies, which was an optional rule in its own right, so it totally fits in here. You basically had a, 
ton of things that you might know how to do if you spent the proficiency on it. And you got proficiency slots based on your character class and also based on your intelligence because you could turn your excess languages into new proficiencies. So you could have a wizard who came into the game and were like 12 things. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a good way to run it though because I use that stuff a lot, but not directly for like combat stuff. So it didn't break you in combat, but you cut, turn it on using engineering. You remember you guys had to cross that goblin pit where you guys had to figure out how do I lash together the yeah. trap doors? So that would have been an engineering role. You don't have that in fifth edition. Right, right. You know? Yeah, you're having to well, shoehorn it into other skills. With skills specifically, there's two real good opportunities here. One thing I've noticed is I've got two characters around 12th and 13th level is uh, my barbarian has exactly the same amount of skills he started with. I don't know if that really tracks. Like they tell me, like I started like, hey, I have four skills at level one. And what do I got at level 12? Four skills. But more importantly with that, the second tier is the things he's not proficient with and has improved in, no improvement at all. So though if you don't have the prof, then unless your ability score is raising, that number that you could do, that thing you were not skilled at, for example, like obviously Arcana is not going to be something a barbarian's like, oh, I've picked up all these things. But perhaps if you were a barbarian and you were trying to be more observant or focus more on nature and you didn't take that at level one at character creation – I would be I would like to see if we could uh, house rule something so they'd be float a bonus in there so that it's not completely flat throughout their entire career like that. Unless they invest in the feet, which is like taking out a mortgage like that's your feet, man. <laughs> well, Tony, that's, that's the funny thing. It's as I was going through because I was as we probably all were, I was reviewing over some of the the optional rules and we talk about a lot of them and every time i go back i'm like oh my god that's also an optional rule that they talked about and we've said boy i wish they had this and they do it's it's in the back of the book and you know the 200s do that for this one uh for this one i think you could probably play into something with the idea where they have proficiency dice um that allow a die to be rolled against certain skills and it's not necessarily just a flat this you get a die that changes with either level or even you know skill level or how much you've done it maybe you call a cthulhu style you've done this a ton well now you can spend a pro one of your proficiency die on it on the roll you know it goes a d4 d6 d8 whatever whatever the only thing i i don't like about adding the skills for someone like a barbarian in fifth edition is the barbarian as a class specifically not having access and not growing their skills is something barbarians lose for the other stuff they get. Yeah. Whereas bards and thieves and rogues, they do get more skills. Rangers, Rangers you do too. get more skills in those classes, and that's supposed to be part of the benefit of playing in that class. So if everyone's getting a bunch of new skills, well, now your skill monkey, specifically skill monkey classes, which don't have things like, as we've talked about, the barbarian being nearly impossible to kill. Yeah. You know, they're quite squishy, but they make up for it on the skills. So now the Barbarian is still a tank you can barely kill, but he also starts gaining a lot of skills. Like, I think you got to balance that out between, because well, it's and, part of the give and take in the character class. And, and as you have made, mentioned, uh, you've said it many times, you know, you you, you got to use your resources, your pay to, to build the character you want. And you could do that. You could take certain feats on your ASI levels, right, as a Barbarian, if you so chose you would have to make that choice, though, and then that does yeah. possibly cost you other things. You could take the skilled feat and gain proficiency, I think, in three new skills, 
Yeah, uh, you could take you gain a lot of you stuff, could yeah. take the observant feet. You could take the alert feet. You got you know so and I think that's where something and for me, in a similar way because I I think a lot of people don't even fully realize this you know but that whole variant human idea where you get the feed instead of the thing like that's still an optional rule that's an alternative rule too it's one really? of the ones that I think uh, if you're still playing it as an alternative rule like please stop. Like it, that's just how it is. If you're a human, like please make humans kind of cool to play, right? Uh, I, I but actually in a similar yeah, way. I agree. In a similar I, way to allow those feats to, uh, to uh, allow feats to to change the game a little bit in an alternative way, and to add to the feats too, as we've said in in past episodes. I would love to see a larger feat list too. So one solution think, to this is that you give. What if someone got like the plus two in something? They didn't have profit. It couldn't go beyond it. Like, hey, you know, oh, right. like, so it doesn't it doesn't level with tier. It just you get a you get a plus two bonus on your prof because you've been doing this a ton. You've done a, yeah, you've done a degree of training in game. That's how invested your time. So maybe, like maybe yeah, like take the idea of like Tony, you were saying like with beam, let's say, you know, it's not you don't have uh, proficiency in all martial weapons. You have proficiency in a longsword and it's a plus two forever kind of thing, you know, because then it at least allows that avenue without completely breaking the character possibly and making them, uh, sure. you know, well, I mean, as, as it's written, there's really two ways you can get more of those. One is to take the feast to get them. The other yes. one is to dip into these classes that are more skill monkey ish. Exactly. You, can, exactly. you, you could multi-class and get it to get them too. That's another, you know, there's other ways to go about it, but I think as a house rule something, the only thing you'd want to, I just think you'd want to watch out for, letting that character get skills in a way that kind of takes away the skill monkey nature of other character classes, you know, because you don't want to have one character get a bunch of stuff that undercuts the benefit of another character out over them. You know, that, that's, that's the, that's the tricky balance. Also, I think they're kind of planning that barbarians not learned so good, <laughs> you know, they do set it up a little bit like that. With that said too, a lot of the skills are things that even a quote uncivilized barbarian would be able to become very good at, but yeah, they get some of those though. You know, they, they don't <laughs> barbarians get like, observe, uh, they get, don't they get like proficiency and in, in nature potentially? Potentially. And I think that perhaps the things that you within your class would have access to are candidates for that. The mm -hmm. barbarian then going off to study arcane uh, skills. Well, then perhaps you want to dip into that, you know, forbidden zone of the, the dip level and wizard, which, you know, have fun with that as you're raging and can't cast spells. But and of course, everyone's like, well, you could take a dip level. Well, you know, that depends how fast you're leveling, folks. You know, like, yeah, like, hey, now I'm a level one thing, and I'm a level one thing, and now a bunch of games are going by. And now by kind the of summer, I should be level two in some. You could also you could also play with a rule that is something like, hey, you know, at the end of the adventure, like you said, something like Call of Cthulhu, where maybe people do get free feats, or maybe you get or, or free free skills. Or maybe you give everyone access to free skills. I mean, one of the things you did that was pretty cool, Tony, in your rewards in the Storm King Slender game was you gave people choices, right? You said you could have this or that. So maybe this is you get a free feat, you get the free skilled feat. But if you don't want the skilled feat, you get this other th you can take this other thing for it, you know, and that can give you those characters a chance to kind of get skilled if they want to without using a normal feat. But then someone who already has a bunch of skills has the option to take something that's more interesting to them. 
Well, there's two things there. One, that's not because I had planned that out carefully. It's because I'm a bad gift giver. And then I'm like, you're going you're gonna to love this, guys. And you're like, oh, my God, this is this is trash. Every DM is a bad gift giver, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> and, you know how many things I've given the party that they haven't turned around and used yet? Well, you know, that comes with the territory. But with the with the leveling and your inability to just dance around and, and move through that, everyone's like, well, you could just change classes and all this. And But what if you want to just stay in your, your one character? You know, like I have to, I have it like, or like, oh, you could play different characters. Another opportunity to change characters. Well, no, I am like a oh, year yeah. and a half into this character. Yeah, I'd like to see it go somewhere before <laughs> I then bench this character and bring in a new one. I don't want to different... not play the barbarian. I just want my barbarian to know a few more things than he currently knows. I'd like to send him to school. <laughs> or, or, or something to that effect. Yeah, and, I, and you know, it would have to make sense entirely. You don't want them but dipping it, into those things. I mean, except for some house rules you can do there. So, but what about other, what about some of these, you know, Jared's asking specifically about things from the books, Tasha's and the DMG, things like sidekicks and patrons, monsters with classes, which I actually really kind of dig. Well, Chase hell, you've done it, so. I have, well, I've done NPCs more than monsters for classes, but I've done NPC builds that let me play a PC style character against the party, which I think is really cool and the party has not enjoyed so far. <laughs> <laughs> but there are several, uh, as I was going through, there are several of the alternate rules in mostly the DMG. We don't play as much with some of the stuff in Tasha's and stuff yet. Well, but, I mean, uh, Tasha's, Tasha's gives you sidekicks and it also gives you patrons. Oh, no, absolutely. Is, and, and actually, I really, dig the, I really dig adding patrons to the game. For me, I don't consider the patrons thing an optional rule as much as just an additional, like, thing that you know for npc for wise for story wise but if that is the case i kind of am using that in a way in the frost maiden campaign uh maybe not officially as i see in tasha's but uh definitely been using it but like i said we use every single one of us does variant humans and feats we are obviously playing with firearms in yeah tomb of annihilation but i played with firearms in Strahd because the one uh vampire uh, consort Escher was a gunslinger. Um, yeah, when you say I, you mean I as the DM got to I as the DM, not the rest it, of yeah. the party. No, fuck you guys. <laughs> um, no, but that's the thing. Like for that for that game, nobody came in with like a hey, I'd really love to play like a vampire hunting gunslinger. I want to play Blade or something. If they did, I would have been like, all right, let's start. Because for me, the firearms rules are totally totally doable. Uh, not in a way that at all starts to uh starts to optimize do, anything you know they do start stepping on the toes of the crossbows just because they're very similar to crossbows they and, are. They have, and, and their damage die is one step higher yeah so that's yeah. the only thing that's a little bit but worst case scenario you swap out crossbows for 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 firearms or maybe you make your firearm bullets harder to find so you can put a limit on Absolutely. it that's another downside to make Absolutely. up for the extra damage um, but, you know, like we have an artificer in Strahd. So if she came in and started wanting to tinker and build guns. I would have been like, all right, well, this is what's happening, you know. So mm-hmm. madness slightly because it was actually canon in Curse of Strahd itself, especially with the dark gifts. There were madness type things attached to it. So oh, uh, I yeah, kind of that's true. That's true. Yeah, I kind of think that there were ways in which it didn't it was more flavor in my well, mind rather than mechanical. Well, I think isn't our madness is different from the sanity scores in the DMG. Yes. Another DMG has a sanity score system that is very much like Call of Cthulhu. Yes. No, the madness thing is 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 closer to madness in um in Call of Cthulhu where you get a problem, right? You roll on a table 
and this is what's happening to you for an indete- indeterminate amount of time. Right? So basically, you could do something like the the player character: you died and you come back, but you get a madness when you come back. Ah, that's yeah. That's I think that that's super right? fun. Yeah, that's super fun. You know. Uh, but the, I've only played with Madness in that way. And then we've all been playing uh, more so with uh, milestones slash session-based uh, advancement as opposed to straight XP stuff, uh, which is still obviously an alternate rule. But I think it's one that's much more uh, <laughs> much more uh, mainstream than some of the other ones. <laughs> so those are some that I, I mean, myself or or you guys have been playing with already. I am a huge fan of monsters having classes. Back in the day, all yeah. the really tough monsters had some appropriate class levels. Does that mean the dragon's a 14th level fighter? No, but the dragon can spell cast. The dragon's probably using charisma yeah. to spell cast. Yeah. But, you know, that just makes sense. And I feel like that is, despite the fact that dragons are quite badass in 5e, that is something that they're missing. They don't have, not all dragons just have that, but some of those really older ones. To give them some more mystery and depth, I think that's a and good... The, and the more arcane ones. I mean, a black dragon maybe doesn't cast spells, but, like, a blue dragon? A copper dragon? You know, I a mean, some of these dragon. other dragons... Yeah, some of these other dragons, I think, should be casting more spells. That should be an aspect of what they do. They they have mastered not just their own nature, but also the powers that work in the world, because they've been around here for, like, thousands of years. And, uh, hell, Strahd is a monster with class levels. He's a wizard. Yeah. Yeah, so well, so it just canon wise, it's there, and that's right in the monster manual. Vampires, if you go to go to the master vampire write up, you do optional. Get, here's yeah, here's your, your warrior, your pal, your warrior vampire, and your art and your mage. Yeah, band, yeah, which I've used both of, and they do play significantly differently. Like it makes it a more interesting monster to play than the flat vampire. And that's tricky because Strahd really is a wizard and a warrior. I mean, yeah. in, in, in the original Tracy Laura Heckman book, he was more the wizard, but in his uh, his story, he most certainly started his career as a as a veteran general. So oh, I yeah. don't want to I don't want to hear he doesn't have multiple attacks with the, with a sword. I don't want to hear that nonsense. <laughs> yeah, or that he wouldn't be like he should be framed in a way of a conqueror who is also an arcane prodigy. It's cool, yeah. but he absolutely needs to be framed as a champion fighter, like or something you know something like that, like a person who knows how to kick ass. Like, you almost want him to play, I mean, because he plays, even in your game, he played more or less as a vampire with some cool stuff, and you kind of want him to play as more like a, uh, either an anti-paladin or like the arcane warrior class. Um, Eldritch Knight? Thank you, the Eldritch Knight, yeah. More that than a Bladesinger, because the Bladesinger was the first thing on my mind, So, but I think you'd... Playing him like an Eldritch, having him with an Eldritch Knight template probably makes like your ideal Strahd. If Strahd started blade singing, I was out of there. I'm like, <laughs> check, please. <laughs> That's it. Oh, actually, and that, and that goes back to another alternate rule I always loved. Um, so the 2E blade singer had a mechanic where we had a mechanic where you could you trade each of your attacks for a parry, but the way we worked parry was you rolled a d20 against the person attacking you's d20. So instead of your armor class, it's a it's an opposed roll, and if you if you hit a if you basically hit better than they do, you parry their blade. If oh, that's you, cool. And then if you natural 20, you get to you might get to attack them back depending on how you do it. Um, yeah, like I that think was, like the, yeah. I like that little like plus three to AC when you parry mechanic because it's quick. But that's fun because like who doesn't like opposed rolls? I mean, I'm sorry, they're just exactly fun. exactly. Like, and, and, who doesn't actually, like gambling? <laughs> I don't feel like parrying doesn't feel like oh just give me plus three to that's more defensive stance. A parry is a parry. I'm taking my attack 
I mean, okay, if we want to get really tactical, a parry is something you do on your way to attacking. You parry and thrust off the, you, you parry and counterattack. That's how the attack, that's how fighting works. But in D&D, I like the idea of, okay, you're swinging at me. I'm going to sacrifice an attack to make sure I block this and then try to work off that with something. The original parry rules first appeared, as far as I recall, in the Unearth Arcana original, not the 5e. We're talking the first edition. Oh, the the wizard at his desk. Yes. (laughs) Where basically they, it was not an opposing role. It was a a defensive bonus upon doing the the action. And it wasn't as good. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's fun. Be, it's fun to roll dice against things, but there is something to be said about uh, efficiency. So, and that's where I think something like the mechanical boost on, on AC comes through. Well, you're actually not losing efficiency because they're trading attacks. So for every attack they parry, oh, they're, they're, attack they're rolling on their turn. So you're just, you're just changing when that fighter rolls their attacks. The Bladesinger's deal was the Bladesinger could parry as many times as it could attack for free. So that's what made the second edition Bladesinger so... You know, one of the things that made it so badass was, okay, I've got like three or four or six attacks per round and six parries per round. And then you start getting crazy because you, oh, you're yeah. attacking him and he's going, do, 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 you know, snake, snake, you know, clash. And oh, then he comes back and just he had, carves you up. I should have just had Strahd uh, move his hair back and you see he has pointed ears and he's an elven blade singer. <laughs> <laughs> That was, that was one of those clashes that were very chauvinistic. You had to be an elf to get it. <laughs> yeah, and that was your that was your whole life. Like another weapon? Nope, just that sword. That's yes. it. That Don't makes sense. It no, that kind of makes sense in that way. Like you are an artist with a blade, right? Yeah. You, well, you dedicated your entire life to learning the blade song. The blade song is a meditation of a sort. It's it is your. It's like you're studying you're studying one martial art your entire life. Yeah. It yeah. is the blade song. It is using your longsword with it. And it's, it's melding your longsword usage with magic. Because also you couldn't use a shield because you're, 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 you're a fighter wizard. So your whole deal is you're basically dancing with the blade while casting spells. It's, oh, man. It's cool now. I actually do want to play a fifth edition Blade Singer. I haven't yet. But the second edition Blade Singer was awesome. <laughs> it, it, he had some sacrifices. But, like, it's one of those things, like, in game terms, you're like, would I give up everything else to be super badass at this thing? Well, of course I would. That's how you win games. <laughs> you know, it's like ask Andy Reid how he feels about the passing offense. Would you give up some running offense to be able to pass better? Yes. Yes, I would. I have. I won a Super Bowl with it. <laughs> I would say that uh, house ruling treasure comes in handy. One specific facet I'm going to talk about, and I'm not just talking about custom items, but I suppose I am to some extent. One of the problems you're handing out treasure is you go to reach out for a sword and pull it out of the treasure, and you're like, okay, you defeated the trolls. You're opening this box, and here's a sword with the blue hilt. And the guy's like, ah, Frostbrand. And you're like, what? <laughs> so this is, this is less about custom treasure and more about you know, uh, you know stopping metagaming? Well, this, this is really about I feel like there's got to be some mystery in the world. So you defeated some trolls, you went into a cave, you should be able to assess what this sword is by my description in two tries or less. You shouldn't. It's got to be like uh, house ruling spells is trickier because it's less to benchmark against. But Mm. you could change some of these items up a bit. Okay, you know, give your plus one shield, a plus one initiative bonus, the the, maybe the plus one sword also does plus one fire damage on top of that. I mean, there's other ways to add some flavor to make them say, hey, there's not just uh, – I, I remember one treasure hoard I ran in. There was like eight plus one swords. I'm like, what is this crap? Like, I, all up, it's here. 
bringing everyone up a tier. Yeah, they were seriously. Uh, that's some serious craftsmanship. I mean, that's what that is. <laughs> and I think, I'm pretty sure it's basic D and D. So they were air quotes swords. So they were like eight identical plus one swords. <laughs> well, there you go. You just have a master craftsman. He's just banging out plus one swords every day. There you go. They're lined up on the wall. Yeah. You know, someone, someone managed to kill him and they're still, yeah. they left all the magic swords. And since they're magical, like they literally never tarnish for the next three ages of the world. True. Like, I mean, uh, like that's serious craftsmanship. Yeah, like, I'm not going to snape at that. Well, to be fair, but plus one sword's cooler lot. now. Something like that, I usually will. I'll either give it a cool name, or I definitely will change the uh, the the look of it. I won't just make it look like I I like to make things look a little bit closer to either something character based or something the world and what it is and what it does, and that's why it looks the way it does. You know, as opposed to just what you know what you see in the in the DMG. You know. But, you know, we did want to come into the and talk about the DMG stuff, yeah. too. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking over this list of stuff from the from the Dungeon Master's Guide. There's a lot of stuff in here I like playing with, but it's got to be for the right game. This is something we haven't talked about. When you're thinking about what are my house rules going to be or, or what are my alternate rules going to be? For example, Gadanothwa for the Woodstock Wanderers. We have this entire sacrifice sentient creatures mechanic to gain benefits from Gadanothwa. It is totally off book. It is totally breaking the rules. Anything that breaks your normal rules looks cooler. It's going to feel cooler to your players because they're like, oh, I'm doing something that breaks the rules. I'm doing something that I can't do in other games. They're going to like that, or at least some of them will. Most of my players aren't still down with human sacrifice. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I know, right? Answers. Like, what's up with that? But, like, so you want to think about it from that point of view. Any house rule or any, or any alternate rule you're going to bring in, you don't want to bring it in just because, oh, here's another piece of complexity to add to my game. You want to bring it in because it adds something to the world you want to have. Another example I can give you is like I, uh, I'm, I've i been working on, and I, we've posted this in an article. So you can find this on an article on the website. We'll link to it in the description. I've been working on some alternate kind of combat mechanics that I think would be interesting. They do things like... You know, it's basically making certain weapons a little more effective, making shields more effective, adding abilities to pull shields out of the way, adding stuff like formation fighting and how that can impact you. That stuff is I was working on as part of a world that's kind of Celts versus Romans with a lot of heavy mystical spirit land spirits involved. So it was trying to add some depth to the military combat you get from the Celts versus the Romans while at the same time knowing there's going to be this other side of the game that is much more spiritual and not so heavy-duty combat. So I wanted rules to make the combat feel like heavy-duty combat, though, so we have that that tension. We have that, um, not tension, but that contrast between the two. That's why I created those rules, and they're not, they're not polished yet, they're not finished, but that's where I was coming from. Those rules add to the feel of the world. Now, if we look at something like Eberron, which is where patrons were first introduced, Eberron is a super factional setting. Uh, so is Strixhaven, apparently. And both of those use patrons and they use groups in order to drive home how factional the setting is. So like in Eberron, it's not just that you have a patron, it's who's going to be your patron. Because once you decide who your patron is, the patron is going to support you and they have rules for how much support they can give you. But now you're also going to get enemies. And you're going to yeah, get it's people gonna close all things. Yeah, it can, there's yeah. people who conflict with you. So it's it's a whole thing that adds to the political side of that world. When we're talking about uh, sanity and madness, these are really good tools in a game where you want the players to feel more off balance, more threatened, 
and more like they're dealing with things that they can't handle, like Call of Cthulhu. And in Call of Cthulhu, we had a great game where almost everyone went insane. And everyone kind of embraced <laughs> their madnesses, you know, everyone's playing it up to the hill. It was synopsis. funny. Interesting synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's what that's an interesting one, Thor, because like I would have thought because like I said, some of these alternate rules I was playing with because they were just part of the adventure that Watsi had released. But something like Curse of Strahd would have been the perfect vehicle to play with the madness and insanity and the sanity score as a stat, in essence. Could have been. Although I would say the way you played Curse of Strahd, which was much more like you had adjusted some things down. Like you let the players be a little more superhero in it. You know, so like oh, like that would be at least, no for, at least in the beginning. Just, no more than you were gonna be just being those characters though. Well, like but know? I remember like when we went to Bone Grinder way too early. You know, you adjusted the hags we fought so there wasn't I did. A I did. I did. So there were I some did. things like that early which set the tone of the game in a way which moves away from sanity and madness loss. Certainly. You know, you want to do it from the beginning and you kinda of want to have it I mean you still could have added sanity. No, and but if I had started it right in like Death House that would have yeah. been that would have really set the, set a different tone, wouldn't it? Yeah. Or you know, I'll back up on what I just said because you know what would have been what could have kind of made that more horrific is if upon finding out what was in the dream cakes, which is a uh, yeah spoiler alert here, it's babies. Yeah, it's good. Like yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fat bad. It's like like fat bastard. Like you know, baby, the other other white meat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so if you had at that point when we found that out, then hit us with sanity. Yeah. And be yeah. like, okay, everyone put a new stat on your sheet. You all have 100 sanity points. You all just lost 20 of them. <laughs> wait, wait, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, now you put the now you put them a little more on notice. But so that's the thing is, whenever you're looking at these rules, you want to think about how this how this fits into and supports the kind of atmosphere and the kind of environment I want to have in my game. Having said that, so I'm not a big fan of some of the healing and rest variants that make things more deadly in 5e, uh, just because I feel like. I feel like you're going to have a hard time getting past your players. My players are on death's door often enough. They don't want to hear, oh, and by the way, you can't heal either. I got to tell you. It's going to take you a week to heal up. I got to tell you, some of the stuff I have written on uh, the rules I would like to play with, one is the the slow natural healing, and one is lingering injuries. <clears throat> but you didn't really, play second edition. I really so. would like to play a little bit with this. But those types of ones, like you're saying, has to be for the right game, and people have to be aware of it. Yes. Yeah, if you get dropped in combat, that is a wonderful time for a lingering injury. Yes, that's <laughs> you where see, you insert something fun like that. I always thought it was a wonderful time to have a conversation with your deity and have a little post-death moment while you're waiting for the party to revive you. Why not both? <laughs> True. Why, why, not, why not both? That's a, that's, that's a good point. But I mean, yeah, if it's set up, if it's set up that this is the kind of game we're playing, <clears throat> then that's different, right? But I I've said this before. <clears throat> excuse me, the slow natural healing. One thing I do like, and I've said this before, it's a little different than the way they do it, but I would like, just for most games, I would like for long rests, you get to roll all your hit dice, add your con, and that's what you get back, not just immediately back to full. I think that would leave a little bit of a, a little more of an immersive factor in it because it would make it not always, oh, okay. It's, it's random. Yeah. There's a random element to it. I so, feel like with healing in 5e works with those long rests, but it is not realistic. 
I mean, you can't sit there. We've been through this. I could be grabbed by a dragon. He bites me on the face, shakes me like a dog's toy. Everybody else jumps on the dragon, kills him. I took 76 damage. I have five left, and I need a long rest. And I am fine in the morning. It's just like Ah, a a miracle. 76 dragon damage. Good times. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, but it adds a level. Or, you know, something like it's affected by the level of... um, damage that you've taken how does the slow natural healing work with healing spells do healing spells still have full effectiveness yeah yeah what it does is that it has you roll hit dice with your long rest but i think the if i was reading correctly you're spending the hit dice that you will have like for the next day possibly you know so it is a resource that you can utilize but it's a finite resource per 24 hour period Because here's why they have you do full healing on long rest. Because if you don't give them full healing on long rest, which is fine, what actually winds up happening is not that people wait the three weeks to heal up the natural way. The cleric just spends the next few days casting every healing spell they can. (laughs) And that's how you get the party back up to full. And then the the cleric then prioritizes maybe a little bit less healing word and a little bit more of the mass cure wounds kind of stuff because they're going to need to do that. So I guess that does. I mean, yeah, that, that does add some verisimilitude to it. But with a healer, it's going to go faster than it looks still, you know, but it can still be, you can still be down for a couple of days, you know, yeah, we used, who you knows? Know, I, I've had plenty of, I've, we've had plenty of second edition games where it's like, look, we got our ass kicked in the dungeon. We're going to hole up in this cave covered in goblin blood, but at least when all the goblins are dead, we're going to block the door and we're going to take a nice, we're going to take a nappy poo and we're going to hang out here for a week until we're all feeling good enough to travel again. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. We, we, yeah, that's, that's how it used to be. Yeah, you got to meet in the middle there, I think, if we're talking about doing some house rules. But uh, something that Thorne especially was pre- would appreciate you touched on earlier is the 5e weapons are really – I have to go to the PHB here – are really on simple mode. And if I have to issue two cr- fast criticism about 5e weapons specifically, what's the, what the hate with the trident and the scimitar both doing D6 damage? Like, what is up with that nonsense? Well, the scimitar is a proper sword, and tell the Drizzt Dwarf, I'm like, sorry, bro, your sword's trash. Well, it's not trash. It's 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 basically they're they're counting them as short swords, aren't they? Isn't it basically the same thing as a short sword? Yeah, it's same damage as a short sword. You want to know what I think is short shrift in the weapons list? Mm -hmm. Spears and then pikes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Pikes weigh. 30 pounds, and yet they only give you the same reach as a halberd. Like, there is no reason to play with a pike in D&D. At all. <laughs> None whatsoever. Now, in my game, I would count that, okay, so your pike's going to be X amount of weight per length. And if that means you get 20-foot reach, you get 20-foot reach. However, if he gets within inside that point, you now have a problem, so you're going to have disadvantage from attacks. You know, I would, I would, that's, that's one of the things that's in that rule set that I was talking about, where... I gave the pike double reach. The spear has reach. Great swords have reach. Like I just gave reach to a couple other things that frankly need it. And something's got like extra reach because they're longer. Like a great sword is going to reach 10 feet away if you're swinging it, if you wanted to. But then, uh, you know, like, like something like a glaive is going to reach even further than the great sword. Cause it's got an even longer reach. So like, there's like, you know, you can have a reach of 10 feet, 15 feet, 20, 25 feet, depending on the sword or the weapon you're using. But the long reach comes with if they get within five of you or they get within if they get more than like, you know, five or 10 feet within that reach. Now you're at disadvantage to hit them because they have you now have the problem. of they a long weapon. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, the problem with the long weapon is once they're away, once they're inside the point, it's just in the way. 
So also, and then there's also rules in there for, well, if you're in an enclosed space or you're in around a lot of trees, you also have the problem. Cause that's the other, like, like you don't want to, spears are actually better weapons than swords, but you don't want to spear in the middle of a dense forest. You don't want to spear in the middle of a tight dining room. Yeah. Cause you're just going to get it caught and knock it on things. You're not gonna be able to use it very well. You're yeah. going to want swords. That's why you carry swords. There, there, unfortunately there's no rules for that. At least the scimitar, I will say, uh, is a light weapon and has finesse. So if you were yeah. an agility fighter like Driss the Warden, that does make sense. For every, the other warrior who's a strength guy, because I figure I actually was toying with giving a warrior a scimitar at one point, and then I was I'm like, hey, this is a cool weapon. I like to have this, have this is, uh, cosmetically. And then I'm like, nah, doesn't work for that character because well, he's not dex versus strength. Can't finesse weapons use strength still? Or can they only use dex? Well, yeah, sure. But if you're using a strength weapon, then why the hell am I not just using a D8 one? That's my point. True, yeah. You can also uh, frame any weapon as a curved blade. Curved swords, like they say in Skyrim. You could have a great sword be a scimitar if you wanted to. You know, it's just curvy. And and then even more unforgivably, the freaking trident. And I'm stealing this from my article. But <laughs> So it's a martial weapon that does D6. What is that? Does it get any kind of grapple bonus wrath? or anything or just nothing? You can throw it. Yeah, like it doesn't have reach or anything like that. And I don't you can two-handed weapon use it to bring it up to a D8, or you can use a spear that's a simple weapon. So, yeah, and that's the problem. Here's the thing on tridents: historically, not used very much. They were mostly used in like gladiatorial combat, and part of the reason they used weapons like a trident is because they weren't as deadly. However, a trident grapples. That's the thing. Like, and that's another thing I'd added to my rules was several of these weapons. I figure they should be able, you should be able to grapple with the weapon at the reach the weapon has. Now, I don't know why a trident is reach. Yeah, certainly it's a spear, you know? I mean, I feel like trident should have reach and it should probably be, you can, you can, maybe it's still a D6 because they don't do a ton of damage, but you can grapple someone with it. You're using the times on the trident. That's to me how I would handle yeah, there's, it. Yeah, there's other ability. I don't think there's any reason why things like spears, halberds, glaives, pikes, and, uh, and Trident shouldn't have give them an additional five feet on it uh, because that's the nature of that type of weapon. Especially if you've ever hefted one, they're fucking big. That's why you can't have it in a dining room because it's useless, right? So, <laughs> you know, so you get double disadvantage because like you or you're going to do uh, you have to take an attack roll against the armor or something. <laughs> so one other weapon failure I, I, I talk about house ruling and i mentioned this in my article as well uh the mechanics about the sword of sharpness that is absolute a train wreck in terms of how you amputate a limb uh the, the if you score 20 you do 14 more damage and i think that's cool but if you've got to roll two back-to-back 20s to cut off a limb like what are we talking that's going to happen in 22 games you'll do it yeah. once Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta roll. Yeah, you gotta roll a twenty again to do it. Yeah. It's hard to do. Yeah. So is that how it works yeah. now? You gotta roll. You roll a twenty, and if you crit, it deals fourteen extra damage. But then you yeah. also need to roll a twenty and roll twenty again to get a limb. Yes. Yeah. Your second twenty will sever the limb. And, and the that, limb is up to the DM's discretion. So it's not even like Vorpal Sword style, where you just you're decapitated. You know. So well, you don't even get that for your back to back. The shorter sharpness <laughs> always was a limb. It could never be a head. You know, that was that was always the rule for it. But you also I don't think you ever got to pick the limb. The DM always picked the limb or you rolled randomly for it. It was randomized. Yeah. Because you don't know where your opening was. I mean, well, you know, as I said in the article, like either have it in there or don't. I, yeah, I mean, that's honestly, uh, that makes me think of the one tone just because you were talking about back to back 20s. It makes me think of in Pathfinder. They have the mechanic of confirming the crit. So if you roll a 20. 
-hmm. you get a hit. It's an automatic hit every single time, but you roll again to confirm the crit and you have to meet or you have to, in essence, hit the person again. You have to meet or exceed their AC. At that point, it then becomes a critical hit. So it makes it tougher to do it, but that's where they then start to open up the crit range. So you will have uh, either class abilities or weaponry that allow you, or feats that allow you to, to now you're going to crit on a 17 to 20, on an 18 to 20, something like that. And that then leads to another <clears throat> alternate rule that I was reading up on in the DMG about mass damage. Uh, and not the mass damage where, like, you get double your hit points and you're all, you know, insta-death. Not that. But if you hit the character for, or the monster, for, I think, at least half of their remaining hit points in one shot, they then have to make a con save or roll on a table that then they might drop to zero hit points and be stable. They might just be killed. They might have uh, a disadvantage on the next for the next attacks. They but and I think something like that is kind of cool because what it does is it takes because what we've seen right is your nat twenty crit thing starts to become a little like it can be cool but it can also be super letdowny right when you're rolling like the one on it like yeah it happens you know so I mean what's, things what like find... this allow it to become like. Uh, it, almost, uh, they become coup de gras almost in a way, right? I, I actually, so I've read about that confirming the crit roll before. And I'm with Matt Coville's also recently talked about it. He like tweeted oh, really? about it as one of his least favorite mechanics. Man, Here's a great thing. Yay, I'm so happy, except now I got to roll to confirm the crit. And if I don't confirm the crit, I'm disappointed. That is not a good player experience. It's like doing it's like doing your 1040. Now add line 41 to 40. It's, it's, it exceeds. Yeah, it's like you're, you're going through like a tax prep software. And they'll be like, oh, you're getting this return, this return, this return, this return. Like, wow, we're doing great. And then you hit that line. You're like it's, it's some line of flips and you owe $400. <laughs> you didn't confirm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You didn't but confirm the crit. I kind of I like crits. Um, what I find most fascinating about the five edition, the fifth edition crit, is the way it it uh, stacks up. It lets you double damage on everything you roll. So I like the idea that you play this game now of okay. So if I'm a paladin, or I've got some other ability I can add to a hit, I'm gonna basically hold that. I want you know you kind of got to play that game. Or actually, I did it with uh, the Battlemaster too. Do you want to hold some of your you know, some of your superiority dice for when you crit when you can roll them double? You know, like it's I think that's a really interesting little mechanic to have in the game. And I like that. I would like to see things that open up the crit range a little more without confirming the crit. But I could see it getting out of hand, too. Yeah. Well, I think that's just the way that like third and three point five kind of started to build on it to create that. It's it's special enough that, OK, now we can open the lane because it's not going to be happening five times a game. Right. Yeah. Open the lane. Open the if you're if you're if you're going to allow if you're going to open your crit range open your crit range don't 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 do this don't like don't don't, don't limp wrist it in, where you just kind of go yeah we're going to double the crit range but you got to roll again to confirm it no 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 <laughs> if you want to open the range have the courage of your convictions and open the damn range <laughs> I, I have to agree with that and nothing's like I really in back in the day I've amputated so I cut someone's arm off in a sword fight doing like four damage. And this person had like 88 hit points. And I'm like, what? That was a problem. And also, because you could also do it with the uh, combat and tactics expanded crit charts let you do it too. Which I actually thought the, the second edition combat and tactics expansion had these had these charts of you would roll randomly for where you hit. 
And then they had a page, a one page chart for each weapon type, like for each damage type, piercing, bludgeoning, and uh, slashing. And you would then roll uh, dice based on your weapon size on that chart. A little complicated, but actually it was a really efficient way to get you some unique crit descriptions because you would have everything from, okay, he's just, it's just a regular crit to they're taking some bleeding damage or losing like one or two points every turn to you, to, to you gave them a concussion and now they're stunned to you chop their head off, you know, and the way they did it was the bigger your weapon, the more crit dice, like, like kind of the bigger the dice were you were rolling for that table. So like a dagger wasn't going to decapitate someone, but a battle axe could. And I thought that was an excellent system. I actually really like that system. Uh, and I might bring it back one of these days because I find it really cool. I would also got in the habit of rolling every, of asking players to roll a D10 with everything because it lets you randomly determine what limb they hit, which is how that crit system worked. Because you can work it into your description. All right, you attack three times. Where'd you hit? Leg. Like, with each D20, roll a D10 and tell me what you came up with. One's a head, one's an arm, one's a leg. You hit you, you hit him in the leg, but he hops back before you could land the slash that you tried to land to his torso. You know, he lets you kind of build out the description. What, what kind of begs the question to me with the sort of sharpness, why they just didn't handle it like the four-pull sword? Because the four-pull sword is a mechanic where you can't decapitate a creature with legendary actions. And I actually liked that rule. I mean, if I had hit Strahd on a 20 and his hit points had expired, then, you know, cinematically chop his head off. I think that makes sense. But I've also been behind the DM screen where one of my guys would roll out round one, attack number two, and take down this boss I've been setting the stage for for 11 games. And it's like, well, he's man size. I rolled a 20, and I have a Vorpal Sword. Crickets, and I'm like... Right. Let me check my notes. Is he a vorpal resistance? Let me. Uh, yeah, that, that's that, why every big bad got stone skins. Well, yeah, no, there, there was there, there was counter shenanigans for sure. But yeah, it was sharpness. You don't want to have a limb chopped off this creature. Fine. If it's a creature with legendary resistances, then it's it's the points moot. Just do so is that, is that last while they still have the resistances, right? So once they're out of resistances, they're also open to the, to the head check to the decapitation. I don't think it works, period. Uh, okay. With corporal okay. sword. If it's, it's a creature with legendary. And just to clarify, those of you who don't know how the second edition stone skins worked, at least the way we played them was you got X stone skins. I think it was like 2d8. So you got like seven or maybe it was 12 stone. Like there, there was a number you got. It was, it was partially random. But for each of those, you could take a hit and it would just tink and deal no damage, no matter what it was. So even if they crit at you, no damage because on, on, of the stone skin. So you had, to wear, you had to wear them down. It was legendary actions, I apologize, not resistances. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, which makes sense. So that you can't – although I do kind of – I get it, but I also at the same time kind of feel like, oh, man, I can't decapitate the big bad guy. Well, Godzilla, no, you cannot. And I got to tell you, we had some pitched arguments about why I should get to decapitate the Tarrasque. And I'm like, bro, how long is your blade? Look at this picture. Like, well, what <laughs> if the sword flew around? And like, no, no, it does not do that. That's you absolutely- have an ability to make the sword fly around the head and do that? <laughs> it's not an animated sword. <laughs> yeah. Is it a flying vorpal sword of dancing? Maybe. And even that's super sketchy. So um, just to get back to some of the stuff, some of these uh, some of these house rules that uh, Jared mentioned from the DMG and from Tasha's and things like that. Um, So we talk about healing and rest variants. Thor, one thing I really would love to play with and I thought would have played very well into the campaign that Chris was running for Matt and I, where we were like the three brothers, the brothers Chen, 
you know, uh, would be the honor score. So that it's yes. the honor sanity thing. Uh, the honor one, I think, is super cool uh, because it plays into that whole like now your actions and how you comport yourself is going to matter on your sheet on the on a stat itself, yeah. you know. But for a game like that, you would have to have a very imperial kind of game for that to be. Well, it depends uh, how you frame honor. I mean, I know it's intended to be used in a samurai style game where you are building political honor, but you can also do use an honor mechanic to do things like just how good do people think of you? And so they start giving you discounts. The, the townsfolk, right? Yeah. You can define honor in the traditional kind of that traditional samurai way of a very political honor that is based only on this code I follow. Like actually, and also chivalry works that way, right? Chivalry. Yeah is a code of honor that has very little to do with how well you treat regular people. It is everything about battle etiquette. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you have a lot of honor, but you're still a dick. You can also have honor though, that reflects how you treat, you know, do you save people? How do you treat the people around you? You know, maybe if you try to shortchange a merchant or you, you, you won't take the price, the merchant, you know, you might get the price you want, but you lose a little honor for it. Cause people call you a cheapskate behind your back and have those yeah. things impact the game. I think that's actually a really cool mechanic. Yeah. Uh, I just haven't worked into a game yet. But I think it could be cool. Again, though, you do need to balance, you know, how many mechanics are you adding to your games? Because Absolutely. you don't want to have all of these. You want to do like one or two that really help enhance the environment. I love the reputation mechanic. And I keep stealing this from Baldur's Gate and I forever will. Your party yeah. has a reputation score. It's mine to see. And that determines how people receive you. If it's told, if it's people are aware who you're traveling with. Are you a bunch of country bumpkins that are completely unknown or are you people that just saved the last two towns you went through back yeah. to back? You have that notoriety. Well, Tone, so I think that that's actually super cool. I like that idea very much. It's like the honor uh, stat, but like writ large. But I would think if I played with that, I would let the party know what that score currently is. Like I'd put it on front of the DM screen or something and have like the <laughs> counter like up and down so that like they see that, oh shit, like how we are acting changes this world, right? Well, my think? answer to that, I mean, it, in the game, you saw your honor score on your character sheet as part of the party, or excuse me, your, your reputation score. I oh. would try to show that in gameplay rather oh, than okay. for a number for example merchants knock st money off of your transactions yeah. like like maybe now at certain points you'd have uh like maybe once per adventure someone would have like a key advantage on a uh persuasion check with a with a uh, npc to uh because okay. reputation right. precedes you something like things like that that effect on the flip side of that when your reputation is very low then your prices are higher people are less likely to deal with you and there's bounty hunters coming out of the woodwork <laughs> <laughs> well you must have racked up a lot of bounties then yeah no there's a lot of dead bounty hunters in that one saved game but <laughs> but that's a great like that's exactly like thorn what you were just saying so taking it out of the honor idea of like the way most people originally think of it you know and even the way they they uh illustrate it in the dmg like literally it's like a samurai guy next to the the yeah, page yeah. on it right well, and it turns it into that it yeah it turns it into almost like in marvel with like the karma thing you know like it how you comport yourself changes how people interact with you or their popularity score things like that i think that's a really actually a very cool mechanic 
Yeah, and actually, I mean, it comes down again to how do you want to reinforce the environment of the world you're trying to create? Is it a world where political honor is everything, or is it a world where how you actually treat people is everything? Is it more of like a peasant hero kind of deal? Or are you more like in a Robin Hood kind of world where people know that you're gonna you're gonna help them so they help so they don't rat you out and tell the sheriff yeah. where you are? Yeah. Or is it more of a seven or is it more of a uh, of a uh, you know a really more of an, a um, uh, King Arthur kind of world? Where, you know, you've got to maintain your honor or you can't sit at the at the round table. You know, yeah. these are different things and they can be and you can basically outline what equals honor in different ways. And you should because you should use that to help define your campaign world. You know, it should always everything. All these you use should always be amplifying what you're trying to portray in the world you're trying to create. Mm. Some of those honor rules back in the day were very dicey. For example, mm. you'd lose honor points for eating too much food. You go somewhere and you pick up. Yeah, no. You're breaking you a commandment, son. <laughs> yeah, now you overeat at a at a public function. There goes some honor. I mean, and, and it's like well, you can only imagine ha what happens if you actually do something wrong. I mean, don't don't reach for that piece of cake, fatty. Don't do it for watching. Now, one thing that drove me bonkers with this is with another dessert saddlebags <laughs> yeah well, well hey your host has to pay for that dessert if you're being a pig you're you're eating him out of house and home too yeah. if you go back to like some of those kind of viking and anglo-saxon type settings you know they're 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 bringing that they're they're spending the money for that stuff if you're gonna yeah. eat him out of house and home you're not a good guest yeah th th there was rules about who would take what piece of the meat and who was in line i agree yes, yes but like, and I always made this of this joke is where like, if we're out in the woods and some guy tries to break into our cabin and we freaking kill, we we off that person, and you shouldn't have handled that way. Like, oh, your reputation score drops. Wait, what? Like no we killed did. someone out in the woods, or like, like, see, you were out in the woods, you like, you broke, you went to a cabin and you you offed somebody. Like you broke in, there was a person there, altercation, you kill him. Oh, your reputation drops. Who saw this? <laughs> my point is, like, maybe down the, the road, my reputation. Like you didn't know, but Jesus was watching. <laughs> yeah, if Jesus changed my score, then I could accept that. But I'm just saying, like, kind of low jack, eye in the sky, big brother bullshit is this? Well, that's that, like uh, Tone. You say in Skyrim, they used to always do that. You kill some rando out in the woods, and then you get into town, and like all the towns corner after you immediately. And it, then... Oh, Sky original Skyrim was dumber. Like I'd be in a building by myself. I'd open a drawer. Ooh, that's a nice shirt. Wait, there's guards. I see them coming at me from like looking out the window. Like, actually, Skyrim, <laughs> Skyrim, you had to be spotted, now, but you could be spotted by someone you didn't realize was there. This was this is Morrowind. This is the third. Okay, version. yeah, before that, yeah, yeah, because Skyrim they they made a big deal out of that. However, they would then throw in things like you'd have an assassin meet you later on and try to kill you, like so, and and, and you'd kill him. And you'd find a note on him that this merchant from this town on the other side of the fucking Skyrim sent him after you for stealing a wheel of cheese. Like, <laughs> I know what you did. You know, I know Who what puts he, out a contract he, he, hit? He, yeah, he looks for... like this. Kill him for stealing from me. It I was like, shoplifted. I get a contract hit on me. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it, it Maybe if I'm stealing from the Zen Tower, well, the, like the I'm literally stealing from the mob, sure. By far the worst in Skyrim was when you had the, the interface accidental stealing. You'd be in a store with a merchant and like they let you pick up like there's like a depending on how they feel about you, you can take anything up to a certain gold piece value. So like if they like you at all, you could take a full bag of gold because each gold piece only has a value of one. 
So they'll let you take the whole thing. But like, you might be like, okay, I want to click this thing, like this alchemy ingredient and steal it. And it's right next to this potion that's worth like 300. And you know, I, I want to take the alchemy ingredient I'm allowed to take. The potion right next to it is worth 300 gold. And that would be stealing. Oops, you stole the potion. Here come the guards. And now she, and now the, the now the merchant is attacking you. You don't want to kill the merchant because then you're not going to have the shop open. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't steal or kill anybody ever any at any point for any reason because you're being watched that's the moral of the story you, you know what actually is a mechanic i like and it's not in the books that were mentioned but it is in mystic odyssey of theros divine intervention and divine boons so mm. mystic odyssey of theros has a whole system of piety and so you can be favored by gods you it's actually part of the system is what god are you you know what gods might favor you and as you do things, their 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 favoritism towards you increases, which I think is pretty cool. Like, so, you know, you pick the God you're worshiping, but rather than that God just kind of being, oh, just someone up in the air or someone who gives you cleric spells, you're actually gaining benefits as you become favored by that deity. Well, hell, that, that definitely plays. Yeah, that definitely plays into that whole kind of setting though right that whole yeah. very greek mythology kind of feel where they're actively involved in human affairs and that's really cool though yeah i i like that kind of mechanic quite a bit i like mechanics and i like that kind of mechanic in general like that's a little bit like the god and mechanic triggered a different way but the god and <laughs> sacrifice mechanic is the same idea you have become you have, you have you you're you're gaining uh you're Notice. gaining favor from god and and you're getting extra abilities and, and boons because of that i've always kind of liked that especially when doing it puts you at odds sometimes with what you're trying to do in the world you know <laughs> like that's that, that's i i like putting the players in a little bit of a moral quandary of do you want the do you want the benefit or do you not want to go down that road you know like, i think I, that makes that's what makes it fun do i want to sacrifice sentient beings to the flying spaghetti monster huh. <laughs> i don't know well at one point bonnie who has done that I mean, she sacrificed bad sentient beings. We should be specific. But at one point, she had a plus five to attack rolls, damage rolls, saving throws. Pretty much a plus five to everything. Skill checks. So, so do we know what happens to these creatures that are sacrificed to Ganonathwa? Theoretically, Ganonathwa eats them. Yeah, they're are eaten their souls by an elder being. You don't I know. Mean, yeah, you want to ask them? Yeah, I mean... You I could ask said, it. You could, try, you, you could try to communicate with it and ask it. Bonnie could ask it. I mean, I'm just curious because, like, you know, Bonnie's got a little, somebody... like, got, got a little piece of God and Alpha living in her head. Ogin, yeah, that's, that's... I shouldn't say Bonnie. This is a player. Ogin has a little piece of God and Alpha in her head all the time. Absolutely terrifying. I don't walk. Like, I'm experiencing what happened with Cat. Yeah, well, Tone, like... this is the same game that that became such a problem within the party that Thorin had to gift her an Iron Stone that would be like her counterbalance to the great old one so like this is just where we are now okay people? Not a, it's not really a counterbalance i don't it doesn't it doesn't speak against god and Alpha usually it just makes her wiser it helps her talk it's to herself a, it's a yeah it, it it's a counterbalance absolutely no no no, no. She, wants, she, spe- she had specifically asked santa for something that could help her not be next year i mean i don't know she yeah. had specifically asked santa for something that could help her figure out what she wanted and help her yeah. talk through her own thoughts, which she got. Yeah. That doesn't mean it necessarily disagrees with God and Alpha. <laughs> aye, aye. It increased her wisdom. That She got an iron stone that increased her wisdom. That basically talks like an old, like a, uh, like an enthusiastic Southern best friend. <laughs> yes. I believe she nicknamed sweetness. 
yes, it's, it's, it is sweetness. Although I think she also doesn't little one also call her uh, artificer homunculus sweetness. Uh, cuteness. Cuteness. The, cuteness. The flying okay. homunculus. Yes. Forgive me. <laughs> There's a sense of pattern. Here. I forget what she named her hellhounds, but you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But they're still in Castle Ravenloft, so I'm not worrying about them in the Feywild. They're just currently. sitting there. They're like sitting there at the portal we walked through, kind of laying down there, whimpering. Yeah, they're just they're just patrolling through Ravenloft. They're barking out the windows at anyone walking by. Attacking the mailman. Oh, <laughs> uh, they've eaten three traveling salespeople. Yeah, it's terrible. Terrible. All right, so we've been talking about this for a little while, so I think it's time we got some final thoughts. And any other final things that you want to play with or not want to play with? I like the idea of giving the players an opportunity to use their time, especially between games. And I know one of the problems we, we uh, like I have a joke and I say that most of my characters are immortal because we accomplish an insurmountable amount of stuff in a tiny amount of time. <laughs> so like time and space is warped around this because like we saved the whole world in like a summer. But in game, like that's how that worked out. So if you're actually stretching some things out, then, yeah, I feel like you should have a chance to learn some things outside of your class and leveling. I also like to be a little bit more flavorful with the magic items so that you don't know what to expect when you open up a, a chest. You're like, oh, there's a wand. It's probably this. Nah, that, 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 it's got to have this mystery to it. Or, or what are we doing? And I like to be a little bit like have a different range with magic items, too. I'm not going to make you wait till your level 16 before level uh, legendary item comes down. Because let's be honest, first of all, we don't have any level 16 characters in play right now, so nobody would get to play with them at all. I just chose because I gave out a holy, uh, the, the Holy Avenger. I think that's hilarious. Good for you. There you <laughs> go. That's the spirit, the Christmas spirit. But I mean, the thing is that, like, I remember, like, when I was with my NPC, I gave him out, I gave him his legendary item last in the Storm King's Thunder, and I got to use it in game for like one and a half games. And I'm thinking, sure. thank God it used to a player, because this would have sucked. Yeah, we talked about that before. You want to give the big item out before the last game, so they have a couple of adventures to, to actually use it before before the campaign ends. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Dave? Um, Final thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, as I said in the beginning, there's a bunch of alternate rules that we already kind of use. Uh, we didn't necessarily think that we were using them in that way. It just kind of was how it was. Um, but there are definitely ones that I would like to play with. I would put a disclaimer on all of this though for people who are like brand new to running a game or dm and i would run the game kind of as is at first get a sense of how it actually runs before you start messing around with too many mm. uh, optional rules and stuff the only thing that you absolutely should allow regardless is variant human and allow feats so that's just i mean <laughs> just stop already like they need to reprint the php and just don't have it. human this is just what you can get this or you get this. That's that's how it is. Just like Tasha's allows you to move uh, stats around. But yeah, there's a lot of there's I'm always amazed when I go back into the DMG and I see how many optional things that they put in there and then in some of the supplements. And I forget that a lot of the things that we're all sitting around thinking, man, that would be great in the game. They've already at least put out some idea for a mechanic with. Um, so, again, check out your DMG. It's uh, amazing. All right. 
And go and, back to my old article if you want the uh, homebrewed wrestling alternate rules that we had for grappling. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. The, That's the, okay. We talked about grill. that. We talked, I think, a whole fucking episode about that. So. I didn't talk about my grappling rules, which are more, they're kind of similar, but I do need, you know, we talked about how much fun a, an opposed check can be. My grappling rules, you need to make an opposed check whenever you want to advance your hold or do like a throw or something out of it. Okay. Okay. That's one thing I do a little differently in my, in, when I'm doing grappling, like like Tony, like uh, uh, Erasmus was doing before. Like I like the idea that okay, if you're going to advance your hold, you, 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 we we get another composed roll because that also gives it more more distance from the way the rest of combat works. You know what I mean? Mm. So I like that, but that's just me. All right. Uh, so my final thoughts. The most important thing to me is that the extra rules, the alternate rules you put in support the kind of game and the kind of game world you want to play to the extent that I would actually say, if you were creating a homebrew campaign, I'd probably sit down and think of like maybe two things you want to put in there that are alternate rulesy that help support the kind of game you want to play. If you want to play something that's a little more, you know, Gothic horror or a little more psychological horror, put in those sanity, the sanity scores and madness and uh, the madness uh, rules. If you want to play something where you want to make, you know, make chivalry and honor more important, Put in the honor rules. And that can be that can really take you in the right direction. If you're having a hard time with players being, you know, evil classes and you feel like that's ruining your game, put some honor rules in your game. See what that does. You know, give the players with good honor better advantages than the players with bad uh, with, with bad honor and see where that takes you. But to put this in like in like perspective, so I didn't do in Woodstock Wanderers, the only real like alternate rule I did is the whole sacrifice mechanic got an awful. In this world I've been toying around with that's kind of Celts and Romans and nature spirits. On the one side, I would put in this set of military rules, like a set of combat rules that are just a little bit different, but they make things a little deeper, a lot of little, a little more, some more options to combat and let you get a little deeper with your ta tactical combat, deeper with the tactics of the combat itself, not just with like extra spells flying around. And then on the other side of things, I'm going to put rules in there that have to do with winning favor from those spirits as well. And what it what basically so each land spirit would have a territory on the Celtic on the on the wild side of the map. And as you go into each territory, there's something there that might approve of you, might not approve of you. There might be rules that you have to follow. There might be ways you can win its uh you can win its favor, very much like Celtic mythology. You know, I would I would I would pull a lot of like Irish myths and Celtic myths into that kind of thing. So like each spirit would have its own set of rules and perhaps you could even befriend a spirit to the extent where they would be able to fight with you. That would be one of the mechanics of okay, the the Roman side of things is making the land unfit for these spirits. So where the Romans control, there are no spirits. The Celtic side of things has these nature spirits, but they're dangerous. So the Celts generally try to hunt them or fight them off or avoid them. But really, in the final balance of things, if the Celtic side wanted to try to maintain its land and drive out the Romans, they're going to need these nature spirits around to fight them. So there's two sets of custom mechanics there. The one set of custom mechanics to kind of show kind of the very kind of military minded side of things. The other set of custom mechanics to play into the more spiritual, spiritual side of things with an end game that can eventually put these things against each other. Think of it in that way. You know, think of it. How can how can the, the, the house rules or the ultimate mechanics you put in? really make the game feel like you want to make it feel so that setting's not done i haven't <laughs> actually need to make some more progress on it but that's the kind of way i think you should think about this and your specific alternate rules you want to use i mean we kind of talked about a lot of them we like even more than we like in certain situations but it really comes down to what are you trying to accomplish and pull and pull in the rules that help you that help you do that absolutely all right that kind of thing sounds really cool it could be cool i gotta finish i gotta do the map 
Yeah. That's the thing. Like I've done some house rules. I got some ideas. I got to make a map and I got to put some of these actual kind of spirits in place. That's cool. And then, you know, and then kind of have a little more sense of space because it would be if if the areas are going to be important, I need a map to show everyone what they know and what they don't know. So, mm. and that's the next step. That, that that's the next step on that kind of thing. We'll see, cool. we'll see if and when I get to that. Between that and the mythic Odyssey of Theros, I'm like, yeah, those both sound really cool. <laughs> I'm I'm up for a game of Mythic Odyssey of Theros. Yeah. I know Tony got it for Christmas. I was hoping he run a I game. I did. Oh yeah. And that that ninth day a week, yes, I'll be happy to run a yeah, game. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was just saying, I had an idea for a character that's a um, actually a demigod, like actually like a, like a son of Zeus. Although Zeus is not one of the gods in Mystic Odyssey of Theros, that's one of the gods. You could you could easily port them in though, but it does have its own set of setting specific gods. Um, I think it's actually taken from a magic set, as a matter of fact. I think it's actually this crossover there. Um, but I was thinking it'd be cool to have a character who's like a demigod, like basically one of the rogue one of the rogue progeny of Zeus. Who starts off as a sorcerer because that they have that sorcerer's origin of coming from coming from a god being a demigod, and then becomes a priest to get to know their dad better. And that could be kind of cool. I think that'd be a fun character to play. You know, it's 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 and then you kind of see where you go. Do you become more sorcerer and more priest as you go on in level? And you have uh-huh. a storm sorcerer and a storm tempest cleric that can go together a little bit. Ability yeah. score split there between the wisdom and the charisma. That's that's rough. Yeah, you, I don't think you're going to be a frontline strength fighter. I'll say that much. However, the Tempest Cleric has a cool divine. The, one of their divine abilities lets you maximize your lightning or thunder damage. Yeah, no, you, you know, you get up to it. If you survive through the first tier, like you start to really beef up with some of those cleric classes, man. Some of them, yeah. So, like, I mean, so you would have basically, you'd have a cleric who had the ability to, with their divine, uh, what do they call it? Divine inspiration, divine uh, intervention. Yeah, the, well, the divine channeling ability. Like oh, the, the channel divinity, divinity, yeah. Channel yeah. divinity, yeah. You have a cleric who has the ability with the channel divinity to basically max out damage done by lightning bolt or call lightning or any kind of storm spell or, or any thunder or, or shatter even. I mean, it gets to be a lot of damage pretty quickly. Oh, so, very cool. Neat. There's some there's some cool overlap there. That's uh, again we're in the weeds again. I can't I can't keep I can't stay on topic. All right guys, it's been a lot of fun talking with you about this. Let's uh, let's see which which of these alternate rules wind up in our games. Mm. Sounds like a plan. And thank you everyone for sticking with us and listening to this episode of Three Wise DMs. We really appreciate the support. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five star rating in your podcast platform of choice. Tell your friends, share it on social media. All this stuff really helps us grow. So we appreciate anything you can do to help spread the word. We, as we mentioned, if you have a question you want to hear us ask, send it in. A lot of ways to do it, but we're always looking for listener questions to put on the show. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. <laughs>